you to the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read through this. I will not preach while you're standing. I almost promise. My fingers are crossed, even though you can't see them. All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to dive right into this new series. We're calling this Love and Respect, and we'll break this down for you a little bit. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 22. You can look up on the screen. We'll have it in the NIV there for you. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, I want you to talk back to me, okay? Don't get all smack on me, but you can talk back, okay? All right, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. All right, you can be seated. I'm kidding. No, I'm just kidding. All right, say a prayer and go home. I have preached the word. Somebody say glory. All the men are excited. Men, I hate to tell you, but it doesn't end there. <laughs> Our time is coming. Amen? Here we go. For, all right, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, before you get too excited, men, just remember Jesus died for the church. All right, moving right along. Verse 24, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, here we go. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Someone say, one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the privilege of being together today to be disciples of Jesus, followers, students of your word. And so, Lord, we posture ourselves Father, to be taught today, teach us from your word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to be exactly what Jesus said you were, and that is the spirit of truth who leads us and guides us into all truth today. Speak to us, Lord. We're listening, and we literally position ourselves to hear your word today. And I ask you, Lord, to challenge us, all of us, to step up to a new level of living, to learn how to live out loud for Christ. And we thank you for your word. Thank you that you're speaking. We, Father, are now listening. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. amen. High five somebody on the way down. Amen. You can be seated. If someone would have told me, if someone would have told me when I was 19 years old and I was engaged to be married that 10 years later, I would become a statistic in a negative way. I would have said, you're crazy. I love this girl and love is all we need. Well, I, yeah, I got mixed reaction there, which I thought we might. 
Now, love is a good thing. In fact, it's a many-splendored thing. However, love is not all you need. So I got married at the age of 19 years of age. I, I married the first Christian girl that I ever dated. Because I was a brand new Christian. Just got, just, man, on fire, excited. But let me be real honest with you. I was, I was, um, it, I just didn't know anything. I was a baby in Christ. And so I, I met this girl. We lived in Lubbock, Texas. And she attended the church. And I attended the church. And and I was so excited to meet a Christian girl that was cute and nice and a Christian. And being a new Christian, I had this idea that everybody who was a Christian had their act together. Now, you got to understand, I came out of such a non-Christian background and such a non-Christian environment that I just assumed that once you became born again and you gave your heart to Jesus, then everything was going to be great. <laughs> and so... Here I, here I was, I was involved, I was playing in a, in a Christian band, we were traveling around, I was meeting people, and it was all just a new world was opening up for me, a new people, a new group, and all of a sudden, I, I met this girl who caught my attention at, at one of our, our youth and college gatherings, and, and we were all playing guitars, and, and, and man, it was such a day, I just, I mean, I have to tell you, I had very long curly hair, it was cool, I had, I had my, my early... 80s swagger on, trust me. Uh, it was a whole different look, whole different day, but, but I'm telling you, I was cool in the day. And, uh, and, and I just, man, I showed up at this thing, and I met all these people. Thank you. And, um, and listen to this. I, I, I saw this girl, and I, and I just was like, wow, she's a Christian, and that's all I needed to know. How many of y'all know I was, I was a little naive? So we got married. I actually was approached by her roommate who said, I don't think you know what you're getting into. I said, oh, no, no, I'm 19. I know everything. Are you kidding? I've been around the block. Long story short, even my mom said, I, I just want to know. I want you to be happy, but I'll, are you sure you know? You sh-? Mom, come on, I'm 19. And so we got married. Everything was great until two weeks later. <laughs> hey, it was two weeks. Better than some of you. Come on. <laughs> two weeks later, listen to this. I had written a song and I played the song in church. We were part of the, a great church in Lubbock. And I sang the song I played on the acoustic guitar. A friend backed me up. We just, and man, it was just a neat moment. And really felt the Lord speak to me that I was going to be going into the ministry. And that night when, when I was going home, I knew, going from home from church on a Sunday night, it was back when we had Sunday night church, remember those days? And as I was driving home, I, I really felt God speak to my heart that I was going to be in the ministry and that I would be either a youth pastor, or, well, we didn't call it then, youth director back then, or I'd be a, a minister. And so I was so excited. And because I just married this really neat Christian girl, I thought she would be excited too. And I leaned over and I said, I got to tell you something. God has called me into the ministry. And then I waited for the applause and the confetti. And I, here's what I heard. These are the words. No, he has not. I said, excuse me. 
She said, no. She said, I swore, I swore I would never marry a minister. We had never had this discussion before. And she rolled over and went to sleep. And I laid there for hours thinking, what is going on here? But God, I married a Christian. I'm going to follow you into the ministry and be everything and fulfill my destiny. And that started... That started two weeks into this thing, a downslide. Because what happened is, I began to explode in my growth as a new believer. And I was so on fire for Jesus and so excited about the things of the word and the things of the kingdom of God. And, and all my friends were on fire. We were meeting and studying the word together. And she had not connected with anybody at that level. And so she really wasn't growing. And I was just going... The, the unfortunate thing is, is being young and immature, I just ran off and left her in the dust. Two years pass, and we're, we're, we're struggling. We're just trying to make it. We're learning what it means to do life together, and it's not going well. And, and it seems like the more excited I get about God, the more angry she's getting. And two years into this, she finally comes to me, and she says, Fine, you win. I said, What? This was, this was at home during lunch one day. You know, I'm there for, I'm, uh, listen, we're, we're young. I'm, I'm going for a bologna sandwich and, you know, bowl of Campbell's soup. Come on now. That's all we could afford. And so I'm there eating lunch, and she said, you win, fine. I said, what are you talking about? She said, the ministry. I know you've been talking to everybody. I said, I haven't talked to anybody in two years about it. She said, well, everybody at church keeps coming up to me and saying, saying, when's Jimmy going into the ministry? Is he going to college? What's he going to do? When's he going to fulfill his call? She said, I know you've been talking to people. I said, I haven't said it to a soul. Because what I did do is I began to pray and say, Lord, if I'm supposed to do this, you're going to have to convince her that that's what I need to do. And you know what? God did. Of course, I got blamed for it, but God did <laughs> convince her. I mean, it was God, literally, through other people, using people in the church. And so that started our wonderful, glorious glide into the ministry. So the first thing we did was I had to move her from Lubbock to Brownwood, Texas, from her family, very tight, close-knit family, I, and it was torment and torture. Now, I went to her parents after that and said, I've got some great news. I thought, well, two years have passed. Surely everybody's excited by now. And I said, I've got to. So I sat down with her parents and her grandparents, and I sat down and told them, I have been called into the ministry. I waited for some pats on the back and some love. And her mom started bawling. I'll never see my daughter again. You're going to take my grandkids away. And I mean, we didn't even have kids. I'm like, grandkids, what? You know. <laughs> I mean, she was already looking down the line and looking at how bad this was going to be. Apparently, they had had some very negative experiences with ministers in ministry homes. And so my wife was angry, mad at God, mad at me. My in-laws are mad at God, mad at me, and that's how I entered into this thing. Woohoo! So I moved to Brownwood, Texas to go to Howard Payne University. I started at Texas Tech, did a year at Tech because that's my hometown, and then transferred to, to Howard Payne and started down the line. Now, what happened, unfortunately, was that the more, the deeper I got in, enmeshed in ministry, the more I got involved in school, the, the further apart that we grew. So I, you thought we were going to start this marriage series with, okay, here's how you do it. Let me tell you, I'm going to tell you how not to do it. Because I probably know more about how not to than how to sometimes. 
But I want you to know where I'm coming from, that when I talk about the things we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks about love and respect, I'm going to tell you this is somebody who's done it wrong and who's learned some very hard lessons, but also someone who's learning, I won't say learned, but learning to do it right, or I'll just say better. Are you with me? So we start down the line. She gets a job. She's working. I'm going to school and working at Montgomery Wards. Come on, somebody. I am knocking down some big change now. I mean, I'm banking here, selling refrigerators and putting together lawnmowers. Man, I was doing it. But I was just killing myself. And then I got invited to be on a staff of a church with one student. I was a youth pastor and I had one kid named Corky. And I mean, we just got this thing started, man. I was, man, I was feeling good. I actually had a business card printed up, and that was when I knew I was official. So anyway, this, this is crazy when you're starting out and, I mean, you just pay them to work. I mean, you'd pay them to minister and, you know, you're just making nothing. And we're traveling. I'm also playing music and doing that as well. So just just busy, busy, busy running all over the place. And in the meantime, she's growing this way and I'm growing this way. Ten years pass. I'm at a church that I've been at for four years, poured my soul into my heart and soul. Saw some of these kids begin to grow up and come into maturity. And we had a great thing going at our church. And, and my wife walks in one day after 10 years and says, I want out. And I never dreamed I would hear those words. First of all, we're Christians. Christians don't do this, right? Because if we're Christians, surely we can work through anything. Here's how naive I was. Out of, I said, out of what? I mean, seriously, that's how, that's how naive I was. Maybe willfully. Out of what? She said, I want out of this marriage. And she presented to me a list of the bills I would be paying. The bills she's going to, I mean, she had planned it all out, unbeknownst to me, and literally it was a done deal by the time she brought it up. I said, well, let's get help. Let's go to counseling. Let's grab, and I was, I'm always the type that, I'm all about the counseling. I mean, I, man, somebody's speaking to my life. I need help. I know I do. So let's, and she, it was too late. Was, she was gone. Two weeks later, I came home from church, and I'm reeling from this. First thing I did was call my pastor, my senior pastor, Don. I said, Pastor Don, I got to meet with you. I went and met with him, told him what was going on. We went right to the deacons of our church. It's a traditional church. I thought they were going to murder and crucify me and tar and feather me, and they ended up loving me. Even my mortal enemies came around me. My mortal, I thought they were my enemies. These, some crusty, crusty old deacons were, they gave me a hard time. I probably gave them a hard time too, but I'm telling you, when, when the bottom fell out of my life, they came around me in this traditional church and loved me. Really just was an eye-opener for me. And then two weeks later, I come home from church, and she's gone, and half, more than half of the house is gone. Everything's gone. My guitar's there, a stereo, and a bed. And my Hyundai that had so many miles on it, I mean, I had to pray. I, had to, I drove in faith every day. And that's what I was left with. And a, and a letter on the table saying, you know, I knew you'd be gone this morning. That's why I came and got everything. And she was gone. It was over. And I looked up, and I was a statistic. 51% of all marriages end in divorce today. And I was one of those. And I thought, what am I going to do? You know, it's one thing if an accountant goes through a divorce. It doesn't really affect his job. 
a doctor, a teacher, an attorney, whatever you do, it, it doesn't really. But if a pastor goes through a divorce, a minister, oh my gosh. Does it invalidate everything you did for the last few years? Does it undo everything? Does it undo what's happened, what's gone before? Does it cause everybody who's been a part of what you were a part of and whose lives were touched and transformed, does it, does it shake them to the core? You bet it does. So here I was. Here I am. A statistic. But God... Ten years. So did I waste ten years of my life with somebody who was mad at God, mad at me, and eventually moved on? Let me just say something to you. If you're divorced here today, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you need to not hear what I'm saying. And I wanted to start off by being very transparent and telling you my story because you need to know there's a but God moment for you too. And that God is good. All the time. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your circumstance is, when you think, I'm done, it's over, I'll never... I mean, for me, I'd given seven to ten years, ten years of a marriage, but seven years knowing I was going into ministry, uh, literally my life in school and preparing. I was in my, my second to last semester at seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, and I was, I mean, I saw the, I could see the goal line. I could see the tape. And, and I thought, man, I'm about to finish. And then I'm going to go full time. And the church had already had plans for me to go full time. I mean, things were going well, so I thought. And then the bottom dropped out. Let me share with you some stats. Look up on the screen. I just want you to see kind of the state of where things are. George Barna in Barna Research Group says this, 84% of those who claim to be born again will get married. Approximately 26% of those who claim to be evangelical will end in divorce, one in four. The rate of divorce rises for non-evangelicals. Barna notes that, now listen to this, Americans have become comfortable with divorce as a natural part of life. The stigma attached to divorce has diminished considerably. Would you agree with that? Now listen, that's not all bad in some cases because sometimes the way we've held it has been a to-the-law thing and under no circumstances should a couple divorce. But let me tell you something. I've seen abuse. I've seen what a man in a rage can do to a, to a weaker female. I've seen what can happen to children who've been beaten by their dads. I worked in the foster care for a number of years, I was a case manager, and then Annette and I together ended up running a branch of Hope for Tomorrow over in Midland, Texas, where I was a community director and actually ran that branch. We dealt with children every day that had been beaten to a bloody pulp or sexually demoralized and abused by angry, raging parents. We've seen the effects of what can happen in dysfunction and brokenness. Life happens sometimes, and things can spin out of control. And we've watched it, and we've witnessed it. Interviews with young adults suggest that they want their initial marriage to last. Now listen to the mentality we're dealing with today. But are not particularly optimistic about that possibility. Now before you start saying, yeah, it's that younger generation, they're only watching what we've modeled. They're watching us. 
And we have not presented the best. The reason I talk about my divorce and me and Annette have an agreement that we both will share out of our pain because we've had but God moments that have healed us and we can talk about our past, we can talk about our brokenness, we can talk about abuse and the things that have happened to us because there's no emotion attached to it because God has healed us. So we've decided that rather than bury our past, we will expose our scars, not proud of them, but will expose them so that we can do two things. We can become trophies of God's grace. You don't put a trophy in an attic. It doesn't do any good. You display a trophy. We are trophies of God's grace. The second thing we want to do is throw right back in the devil's face twice of what he's put to us. And say, devil, you think you've got the last word? Let me tell you how God can turn our brokenness. And I love what what some of the great preachers, turn our mess into a message and our test into a testimony. Amen? Amen? Glory to God. Now listen to this. There is also evidence that many young people are moving toward embracing the idea of serial marriage. In which a person gets married two or three times, seeking a different partner for each phase of their adult life. The rate of cohabitation has risen dramatically in the last few years with 0.42 million, less than half a million, opting to cohabitate in 1960 and up to six. 0.61 million in 2009. So we're talking less than half a million to over 6 million in that time period. Barna, who has written more than three dozen books on the intersection between faith and culture, also stated that information about marriage, healthy relationships, and divorce does not seem to have as much influence on people's choices. In other words, I can give you the facts, but you're still going to do what you're going to do. Now listen to this. Government statistics and a wealth of other research data have shown cohabitation increases the likelihood of divorce. Yet cohabiting is growing in popularity. Studies showing the importance and value of preparing for marriage seem to fall on deaf ears. Now, here's a highlighted part. I want you to hear this. America has become an experimental, experience-driven culture. I want you to think about what that's saying. If it feels good... Do it. Rather than learn from objective information and teaching based on that information, people prefer to follow their instincts and let the chips fall where they may. Given that tendency, we can expect America to retain the highest divorce rate among all developed nations of the world. I tell you that not to depress you. And I understand the reality that we can do a six-week series on marriage, on relationships, on working together and understanding how we work and function. But at the end of the day, if it's just objective information, it's really not going to make any difference. But what will make a difference is if we come in here together posturing ourselves as disciples of Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, help me understand. Lord, teach me. Lord, help me stormproof my relationships. Help me stormproof my marriage. Help me be realistic to know that the winds will blow. The floodwaters will rise. There is a demonic assignment against my family, against my marriage. Help me understand that and be aware of it so that when this stuff happens... I will have somewhere to go, I will have some way to be helped, and I will have some tools in my toolbox. I'll have some weapons in my arsenal so that when these things come, I may be bent, but I will not be broken. Amen? So why we're doing this and taking time to do this is that we want to stormproof your life.
and give you some things. Now, if you think, well, I'm single, I'm a student, I'm not married, I'm not thinking about it right now, or I'm hoping to be someday, but I'm not there. Let me tell you something. What we're going to do here will help everybody here. Because it's about relationships. Our entire year this year at Grace Point is about connection. Everything we're talking about, everything we're doing, our grid, our filter, everything we're running, everything through this idea of connection. Connecting with God, connecting with one another, and connecting with those in our spheres of influence. And so what we're going to be talking about over these next six weeks is how to connect effectively with one another, how to communicate effectively with one another. But make no mistake about it, the enemy of your souls is out to destroy every interpersonal relationship you have, and especially your marriage. And there's a reason for it. It's diabolical. It's real. I want to unpack that just for a moment with you. So we're going to spend these next few weeks. Now, we're calling this Love and Respect, and it is from an excellent, excellent book. And I want to give you the title of the book because... If you're married or you're going to be someday, you should get this book. I want to encourage it. I wish I was getting royalties, but I'm not. But it's a great book. It's called Love and Respect. And it's, the, the subtitle of it really gives you the heart of it. And it is this. The love she desires most and the respect he desperately needs. And we're not going to unpack that today because I want to lay a foundation in another area. But we're going to begin unpacking that beginning next week. The love she most desires and the respect he desperately needs. Men need respect. Women need love. And until we understand that and begin to realize that many of our conflicts, many of our misunderstandings, not many, all of them, will come back to those two elements, love and respect. The book is by Dr. Emerson Egerix. If you're taking notes, it's E G G E. R-I-C-H-S, Egerix, E-G-G-E-R-I-C-H-S, and it's called Love and Respect. You can Google it, you can get it locally as well, so I would encourage you to get that book. We also, Pastor Richard and Donna are starting a life group called Love and Respect, where they're going to go through the workbook, so if you're interested in getting going deeper with this, and I encourage you to do it, they will be starting it, and Pastor Rich, when does that life group start? Starts next Sunday. What time? Three o'clock in the afternoon. Where? At Pastor Rich's house. So we need 75 people to show up at Pastor Rich's house <laughs> next week. Woo! We're here for the study. But there's a workbook that goes along with it. There's a charge for the book. It's $12 for the book of the workbook that you'll get. And you can literally track along as we go here. And I'm telling you, it will storm proof your life. Not only your marriage, but all relationships. Can I get an Amen. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, we've already read that, but I want to go to verse 33. Ephesians 5, 33. Are you with me? Are you with me? Y'all know me. I'm so insecure. I've got to have a big amen every once in a while. Amen? All right. I feel better. All right. Listen to this verse. I love this. However, each one of you also must love his wife. There it is, love as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is going to be the scripture whereby all these next six weeks turn, love and respect. So let me give you some, let me back up a little bit on the whole idea of marriage and, and the primary purpose of marriage. It's important to understand this. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 30 and 32. Ephesians 5, 30 to 32 says this, For we are members of his body, 
For this reason, now look at this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Someone say, leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. One more time. We're about leaving and cleaving. Now, I want to give you the original passage out of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, where it was first stated in the very earliest of times. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. You've got to understand, this is happening right on the heels of God creating man and coming to this conclusion, uh, man is not good by himself. <laughs> we men understand that left to ourselves, we're dangerous. Can I get an honest amen? amen. Ladies, you can say amen too because you know the truth. Amen. Now, look what it says, verse 24, Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his what? Okay, let me clarify once again. To his wife. We are talking about marriage between one man and one woman. Can I just be clear on this as we get started into this? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, not his boyfriend. To his wife. This is a Christian church. We, the Bible is our guide. This is what, what... We don't line up our ideas with the... Try to make the Bible fit. We say, this is what the Word says. Let's line up our life with the Word. Can I get an amen as we establish that fact? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And they will become one flesh. Alright, moving right along. The man and his wife were both... Oh, naked. And they felt no shame. What we're talking about is a purity. An innocence. That even though they were together, you know, I don't know. I mean, there was no issue of, you know, is my stomach getting too big here? Or, you know, my hips, you know, my, how's my cellulite doing down here? I mean, <laughs> there was no issues here. There was such a purity here that we don't know what they look like. Were they perfect? Did they have it all together? We don't know. But here's the deal. There was such a purity that they felt no shame. Someone say no shame. No shame. I love that. That tells me more about their heart. It tells me more about their mentality than it does their looks. Because it wasn't about that. Amen? All right. Now, let me give you the primary purpose of marriage. And and I've got a bullet point for you. In the beginning, marriage is a foreshadowing. Listen to this. A foreshadow of the gospel story. It's been, and I'm amazed at how little I hear this, but you've got to understand what the point of marriage is. Well, it's to have babies. It's to multiply and conquer, dominate the earth, multiply, dominion. Actually, there's much more to it. Understanding that the purpose of the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of a deliverance yet to come. And I want to show you how this works. All that we read in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of that which is to come. That message was this. Listen to me. That although man had fallen out of relationship with God because of sin, that relationship would be restored through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of a Savior. Jesus. And marriage is the picture of that union, that relationship between Jesus, the, church, the groom, and His redeemed people, the church, the bride. You need to understand that the point of marriage, the idea of marriage is not just so we can be happy and complete. Oh, you complete me. No, it's bigger than that. It's actually, it's our second point here. And, and 
I'm going to freak everybody out because I only have two points today, so I know. What's up with that? This is, I'm going to feel unbalanced and incomplete all day, but I'm only going to do two today. Listen to this. Marriage is a picture and a witness. Let me tell you how this works. Our marriage is to represent Christ and his church. Our marriages, listen to this, are to be so vital, so full of life, so full of passion. Come on, somebody. So full of energy. It shouldn't be that we go to the restaurant, eat our food, and go home and never say a word. The world looking at us ought to see our marriage and go, there is something different about them. They really love each other. They're really connected to each other. Something about them is intriguing. Have you ever been around couples like that? That actually, they've been married for years, but they still hold hands. And that and I'll be walking into the mall and I'll hold my hand like you mean it, honey. Come on. And she'll grab my hand, crush my hand. And it's just like, man, there ought to be something. You ought to be grossing your kids out constantly. When Alicia and Chris were younger, we used to do it on purpose. <laughs> Honey, give me a kiss. And they're like, oh. And now Rachel, I mean, now she's 10, you know, and she's coming along behind. And so now she's getting the brunt of it. Because I'd be like, come here, baby, give me a hug. And she's like, ah. You ought to be embarrassing your kids. You just love each other so much. And the world around us ought to see our marriage, and that marriage is to be a picture of Christ and His church. But our culture has made marriage into something else. It's made it about, oh, having kids. It's made it about getting a better tax break. It's about, it's a, it's about trying out a bunch of people that make you happy, and then once that ends, you just divorce and start again, and you'll start with a new one now, and that'll make you happy and for a while, and it's like a car that wears off, and it loses its newness, and the new smell goes away, and the adrenaline rush stops, and all of a sudden, you fell in love, you fell out of love. That's a problem. We're just test driving until we find the right one. Then we get to a point where... I'll just take anybody. <laughs> My gosh. The whole point of this is that what we have should reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. What our marriage is to represent is redemption in itself. And there's so much brokenness. And our culture has just stamped its approval on that. It's just normal to be dysfunctional. No, it's not, actually. But we've made it a new normal. Well, you know how guys are. Well, you know how women are. And all of a sudden we create all these excuses and crutches why we can't have a life-giving marriage. A life-giving I will not settle for that. I was married 10 years the first time. Went through a divorce. Destroyed me from the inside out. Then I remarried. And I've been married for 18 years. The second go around. And praise God we've got something that's alive. We've got something that's awesome. Someone clap for me or help me out here. 18 years on round two. The percentage of divorce happening after a first divorce and remarriage just goes exponential. But you know what? We are defying. We will not allow our culture and we will not allow statistics to define us. Annette and I are trophies of grace 
Let me tell you something. No matter where you find yourself today, you too can be a trophy of grace. Your life can be so restored, so redeemed, your world so reconciled to God that you literally will have a but God moment and people will look at you and go, I want to be like them when I grow up. I love going to a restaurant and laughing with my wife. It's kind of weird. We stand out a little bit. Because I look around the restaurant and see couples. We were, we were in Lubbock on Friday night eating, and, and we'd gone to visit some family there. And, and I was looking around. I saw several couples because this is all fresh in my mind. I was looking around, and I was like, wow, just sitting there, nothing to say. You know, if there is nothing to say, you need to find something to say. And so I'll look at Annette and go, so tell me your dreams. And she's like, what? I mean, literally, I just got to find something. Tell me what you dream about. What you bl- I mean, I just do that just to mess her up sometimes. Tell me your dreams. She's like, whatever. But I'm telling you, you've got, to, you, you've got to find something to engage about. Now, the reason we have lost that level of engagement and why we have nothing to say is that at some point, men, we've stopped loving them. And because we've stopped loving them, they've stopped respecting us. And now we have a disconnect. And then life becomes a series of flybys where we look like we're headed towards each other and we miss each other. And we're just getting caught in each other's jet wash. Listen to this. Your marriage should be so strong, so dynamic, so alive that it is literally good news. It's the gospel witness to those you encounter. Your testimony is more than your past. It is your present. Your marriage is your testimony of your relationship with God. First Peter, look at this. First Peter 3, 7. Do we have that? Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Another translation says honor. I love that. With honor, with respect. As the weaker partner and as heirs with you. We're together on this thing. You know, Annette and I have worked together for 18 years, and people said, you just can't work with your wife. I mean, people can't do that. No, no, no. Not only, do we, not only have we done it, we like doing it. And in fact, we refuse to do it any other way. I became scorned on one church staff because Annette and I wanted to stay together and do ministry, and they tried to pull us into different directions. And we, we stood our ground and said, look, we really believe God called us to work together. I mean, we're, we believe we're in this together and, and the environment we were working in needed a male and a female. And we had, we had to fight some fights just to stay together. But we're committed to that because we want to do what we do together as heirs with you. Someone say, with you. Of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Let me tell you something. When love is not happening and respect is not happening, your prayers are hindered. You know, it's so hard to come in here and worship. I mean, Sammy and Josh and our team, I don't know about you guys, but they're off the hook as far as I'm concerned. They're amazing. They come in here, they work hard, and I'm telling you, we come in here and we get thrilled week in and week out. We have a blast. I can't wait to get in here. But it's amazing to me how many husbands and wives struggle in the area of worship. How many, how many guys and girls come in here in, in a really broken relationship. And they come in here and they struggle in worship because their prayers are hindered. Your worship is hindered. Your communication with God gets hindered through disunity. 
and disunion. Someone say, but God. We're going to spend the next few weeks unpacking this and diving into this, and we're going to give you tools to win at this thing. We're going to give you tools, and we're going to come in here one day, and we're going to embarrass all the single people in here. Come on now. Husbands and wives ought to be excited about being together. Amen? Don't be embarrassed. A little PDA going on between husbands and wives. I'm all good with that. Amen? Come on, honey. Give me some lip. Get over here. Your marriage is to be a living, breathing representation, a picture. (laughs) Come back to me. Notice I'm trying to move on. Did you notice that segue? Your marriage is to be a living, breathing representation, a picture, if you will, of Christ and his relationship to the bride. Let me tell you something. Jesus is crazy about the bride. He's crazy about her. He, he blushed. When we come together like this, Jesus is blushing. He's like, oh, there she is. Wow, look at her. You know, we're so hard on the church. We just think the church is all jacked up. And, man, I read junk every day. It just ticks me off. Everybody's bashing the church. They, them, those, them, those people. Yeah, them. And, and Jesus looks down and goes, man, she's beautiful. Why? Because he loves her unconditionally. He sees us. He's like, oh, thank you. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you. Thank you for doing the best you can with what you have. Thank you for coming together in my name to worship me. He blushes. He's thrilled when we come together. So we're going to spend the next few weeks unpacking this and going deeper. But take this home with you. Love and respect. Men, we are to love. Women, you're to respect. And when either one of those break down, the other gets taken away. And that's what we're going to unpack. Sounds simple, but it's a lot... There's more to it. So stay with us through these next few weeks. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Can I pray for you?